that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I don't often preach on collects, but this one for the fourth Sunday of Advent is too good to miss. Purify our conscience, Almighty God, by your daily visitation, that your Son, Jesus Christ, at his coming, may find in us a mansion prepared for himself. To refresh your memory, the collect of the day is the prayer we say at the beginning of our liturgy. Every time we gather for Holy Communion, it's that seasonal prayer that sets the tone for our worship at a particular time of the Christian year. It's that prayer that serves the function of collecting. It's a collect, the themes of the day, and gives us a taste of what's in store as we read God's Word, as we gather about God's table. Most of our collects are ancient prayers coming to us from sacramentaries and worship manuals and pastoralia that go back as far as the second century. I hope you can appreciate that on any given Sunday morning, we are praying the same prayers that have been said by Christian people for hundreds and hundreds of years. In our peculiar way of doing things, we connect with the past as a way of informing the present. That's our style. We go back a long, long way, and I'm one who believes that many of these old-fangled notions point us in the direction of Jesus like nobody's business. In a word, we honor tradition. Thanks to the gift of Netflix, I watched Tevya the other night, Fiddler on the Roof, sing tradition, tradition, and it gave me a thrill. Tradition, customs, and beliefs that have been passed on from one generation to another as a very potent kind of glue that holds us together with our Lord Jesus, with all his saints, and with one another. Now, speaking of tradition, at last Sunday afternoon's best ever Christmas pageant I have ever attended, I put that as one word with dashes in it, Two of the young performers caught my attention. I was so touched to see young Mary and Joseph scurrying down this main aisle of the cathedral, looking in desperation in Beth for Bethlehem, a place to rest from their journey, a place to secure a place to welcome the baby Jesus. Father protector that he was, Joseph called out in a loud, distinct voice, we need a room at the inn. And the innkeeper up here in the sanctuary responded in like manner. There is no room. There is no vacancy. There's no space for the coming of our Lord Jesus. And today, notice how we're changing our tune. We're praying that we might become a bit more welcoming and opening, open when it comes to he who stands at the door and knocks that when he comes again, his second coming, he will find within us not just a room at the end, but an entire mansion in which he might take up residence. Purify our conscience, almighty God, by your daily visitation, that your son Jesus at his coming again 
may find in us a mansion prepared for himself. I have to say that I'm one at this age and stage of life who houses that mansion inside. It cries out for habitation. I'm one who experiences a desire for more than the superficial these days. One who feels a homesickness for something or for someone other than me and the chatter that goes on in my head. I want to go deeper. I didn't create this restlessness inside. God and life have a way of doing that. Life with all its ups and downs and ins and outs and successes and failures, achievements and disasters, good times and bad. That's the raw material that has a way of opening us up, especially those downs, outs, failures, disasters, and bad times. We see how God redeems. God uses both our glories and our miseries to create an emptiness somewhere deep inside us a voracious desire for being filled, a hunger for satisfaction. And God not only creates such a vacuum, God is the only entity in this vast expanse of interstellar space and beyond that can fill that vacuum. I'm intrigued by the word mansion. Mansion conjures up for me visions of something as grand and glorious as Downton Abbey. But the one of which this collect speak, the one God prepares with us for the person of Jesus, is anything but grandeur. It's really a hole in the soul, a place in which Jesus has yet to come. What St. Augustine termed a capax dei, a capacity for God, better yet, even a capability for God, a God-shaped emptiness inside. God only knows how we try to fill that hole in the soul with the unseemly, the unreasonable, the ungodly. All of these are facsimiles that merely scratch the itch of temptation and never quite really satisfy the need. Here's a very, very silly case in point, but I hope you get it. My son has a good friend who owns the Mercedes dealership in another city. Before I came back to Little Rock, my son Ben and I visited this prestigious dealership. And his friend met us at the door and he said to me, oh, I would love to sell you a car. And I thought, I'll bet you would. (laughs) And he said, let me let you drive this one. You can drive it all over the lot. Well, my my eyes almost popped out. It was a 12-cylinder, shiny, black, gadget-festooned, leather-upholstered Mercedes sedan. I must say I was overcome with a Mercedes-shaped emptiness within. (laughs) And I knew beyond all shadow of doubt at that moment that if I could take ownership of that car, I would be satisfied, filled, and satiated until those proverbial cows come home. But you know, I've been there. More than likely, the feeling would last about three or four days until buyer's regret sets in and the first payment comes due and the realization that I had bought the car on time for 288 months. You've been there, I'm sure. We don't make this space within us. But we have something to do, I think, with letting it be. James Finley, a Christian writer, 
who's a good friend of and works with our friend Richard Rohr, reminds me that there's something about just sitting simply still, being quietly attentive to my breathing, washing the dishes, taking a long walk that goes nowhere, or watering the plants. These things tend to evoke less agitated, less thought-driven modes of awareness. The brain waves change. When this shift embodies a sincere desire for God, something happens. Finley says, as our resistance to God's quiet persistence diminishes, our experience as, our other, as ourselves as other than Christ dissolves into a meditatively realized oneness with Christ. It's little by little at times, and sometimes it is all at once. We come to that point of blessedness in which we can say, along with St. Paul, it is no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives within me. Annunciation Greek Orthodox Church here in Little Rock has a little ad that surfaces occasionally as a pop-up on social media. Pop-ups are very irritating. This one caught my attention. It says simply, for a deeper experience, come join us. Well, I had to look on their website. What are they doing? For depth and substance, for a spirituality that is not six miles wide and two inches deep, for an infilling of that which assuages, satisfies, satiates God in the person of Jesus, come in, pay us a visit. Now, I'm not encouraging you to join an annunciation unless you want to. You don't have to go out to Napa Valley Road to receive that for which the soul hungers. It's available on Spring Street. For a deeper experience, come join us. I so often take for granted what we have to offer, as do so many of you. Let's be mindful that we are a treasure trove when it comes to spiritual sustenance, that which fills the gaping emptiness within us with the person and presence of God. Last week, I was invited to an Episcopal church in a nearby town to address a young people's gathering on the topic of Advent. The group members described themselves as refugees from other spiritual traditions. Another person said, we are Christian ramblers looking for a compassionate and loving home to practice our faith. Now, these men and women, for reasons they began to share with me, landed in the Episcopal Church. And they said, their words were, we are hungry to go deeper, hungry to go deeper. Somewhere down in that mansion, we prepare for Jesus. I love to be an itinerant preacher on occasion, a traveling catechist. And I agreed some time ago to travel north to the hinterlands to teach Advent. But as the day approached, I started thinking, oh, Lord, here we go again. I've been teaching the season of Advent since the time of John the Baptist. And I'm so tired of the sound of my voice on the subject. I have nothing to say, and furthermore, no one wants to hear it. And I'm going to cancel the trip. Well, I was faithful. I was faithful to the invitation. I went, and I was so wrong. I mean dead wrong about my impressions of what might transpire. 
What hunger, deep hunger among this group of young Christians. What desire to delve into the theological, liturgical, and spiritual aspects of this first season of the Christian year. And to perhaps find God in the depths, not on the surface, but way deep within. Listen to some of their comments. Oh, it's so exciting to discover that we have four weeks to prepare for Christmas, said one participant. That Christmas doesn't just drop in from out of the blue on the 25th of December and then disappear the next day. How incredible, said another, that you teach Sunday after Sunday in the Holy Communion that we can approach Christ's second coming without shame or fear and that we can actually rejoice to behold his appearing instead of cringing, cowering, quivering. A third said, how ingenious that you use color and symbol and taste and smell and this beautiful little advent wreath to get your point across, that you value and touch the heart just as much as you do the head. Well, the food served on that occasion at that function was really good, but the spiritual food, the interchange between them and me, was exceptionally satisfying. If you want to If you want to go deeper, come pay us a visit. At a stewardship conference in the Diocese of New York, several years ago I heard similar sentiments expressed by Father Martin Smith. He's an American priest and author. Of all things, at a stewardship conference, Smith preached baptism. He turned that particular group on its ear. When he quipped that baptism had shriveled up into being a family christening ceremony for babies in fonts that have no depth, in fonts that are more like shallow bird baths than ice cold and deep running rivers. Now, these people were expecting him to say how to use a pledge card more faithfully. And here he was talking about cold and deep running rivers. And what does that make us, said Smith? It makes it possible for you and me and the congregations we serve to pledge allegiance to a religious culture of shallowness, a shallowness in which no one is expected to go down into the depths of anything, and consequently no one rises into the heights of anything either. So indeed, as we end this season of Advent, open the door and let the love of transformative Jesus Come in and fill that mansion of yours and mine, the space that's as big as a Downton Abbey. Jesus in word, Jesus in the sacrament of the altar, Jesus in the relationships of two or three gathered together, Jesus in the work of service that washes the feet of those who will not walk tomorrow, Jesus in the music we use that can carry us to the throne of mercy in two seconds flat. Jesus and the many traditions that are passed on one generation to another and hold us together like glue. One of the prayers I memorized years ago that has become part of my daily devotion is known as the Anima Christi. Just the repetition of the prayer has the effect of reaching the deep places, and it does so with the gift of satisfaction. Let me end with it. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. Oh, good Jesus, hear me. 
Within your wounds hide me, never let me be separated from you. From the wicked foe defend me, at the hour of my death call me, and bid me come to you, that with your saints I may praise you from this day forth and forevermore. Amen. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.